Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brand. In this episode, we're discussing SST 112, our first Descendants LP. It's the album All. No, All. It, yeah, it's it's their fourth LP, their first one for SST. There are some re-releases to come, and we'll get to that later. It's their last album for nine years until they got back together, and it's it's a weird and incredible record with some all-time classics and Brandt. Tell us about the special guest on the show. We've got Milo Ackerman on the podcast. Yeah, Shattered Milo. Great guy. Definitely adds a new flavor to this record, which, like, if you're like me, oh, I'm sure you, I'm sure you're exactly the same. Like, listen to it an absolute bazillion times, but listening to it uh, with some new info this week is, uh, it's really, it's actually like a really special treat because it's such an important band for me um especially as like a really young teenager yeah. where we're not going to get into this so much on this episode but like there are so many songs that the descendants had when i was a kid that they're still like so a part of my dna so it's real special to have milo on too yeah for sure me too and i want to get to milo and uh history lesson part one i've got for spiels, I've got a quick update and two micro spiels. Okay, go. So, Brant, I'm reporting back on Confessor, the album Condemned. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, amazing record. I appreciate it, but eh, no way. <laughs> it's and you know what? It, you you called you, you called it. But those vocals, I can't get over the vocals, but it is an intense record, and the drumming definitely stands out. Other than the vocals, the drumming is what uh, really, really makes it stand out. And I found some articles on it, too, as I was listening to it, and that's what everyone says. Like, It's really, really tough. If you're not into those type of like operatic high-register vocals, really, really tough, but the, uh, the drumming is insane. Yeah. Well, the vocals aren't even like super melodic. It's not like he's Ronnie James Dio or something. No, it's weird. Yeah. It's all it's almost like really high dissonant singing. Yeah. But um incredible musicianship, like very weird album. It was um nice recommend, but it appears as though even if it has like 11 elements i don't know how many elements you listed that 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 i would like you know math rock prog rock right all that kind of stuff just because it's full of stuff i should like doesn't mean i'll like it i guess it's fair yeah um here are my two micro spiels and they're recommends for you okay one is a new single by a band called vicious fence have you seen that brand no so it's a new single out on Sub Pop, and it has Tom Watson from Slovenly and many others, guy named Matthew Waskovich from Scarcity of Tanks. I don't know much about that band, but I'm going to check them out now. Jerry Trebotic or Trebotic and Pete Mazik from Mike Watt and the Second Men, John Telly Jones from the Urinals, Hundred Flowers, Trotsky Ice Pick, and also Mark Arm. From Mud Honey, oh, Monkey wow. Ranch, River, the list goes on for all these guys. But the the single's called Vicious Fence, out on Sub Pop, and um, it's got a great 
bunch of uh, musicians on there from tons of bands that you and I like. So I recommend you check that out. I was wondering oh. why, until you said Mark Arm, I was like, why is this on Sub Pop? Yeah, that's the definite connection there. Um, and then my second one, second recommend for you, I think there's a pretty good chance you've already seen this, but I don't remember mentioning it on the show. Just in case you haven't seen it, there's a documentary. It's been out for a couple of years, but it just showed up on one of the services that I subscribe to. It's called Blood and Steel. Brent, you ever seen that one? Hmm. I don't know. What is it? So it's about punk rock and skateboarding. Interested? Yeah. Blood and yeah. Steel. So, Blood and Steel. It's specifically about this place called the Cedar Crest Country Club in Virginia in the 80s. And it's uh, it's basically about like the backyard halfpipe scene and about this one weird country club, like a golf course that built this massive halfpipe and everyone would travel to it. Now it's in Virginia, so it's it's really closely connected to the DC hardcore scene. So Ian McKay's in it, of course. But there was um, a lot of shows that they that were played out there too, or lots of bands, um, Bad Brains, Government Issues, Scream, uh, but also Brandt. I can't believe I'm mentioning this band to you two episodes in a row, but but Gwar also played. I was the thinking, Crest. I was I was going to ask if Alternatives played. Yeah, no, but Gwar did. Hmm. But um, like you and I both used to skate. And, and both are still kind of, you know, interested in that. We definitely can't because we would break a hip or something. But I, it's fair to say that you were way more of an actual real-life skater than I was. And there's so much shredding in this documentary and punk um, and bands that we love. I'm, I'm glad I get to recommend it to you. So you should oh, check yeah. that out. And it's on it's on uh, Amazon is the one that I got oh, to see it on. I have that. So I am all over that, man. I knew it. That's it for me. Right on. I also have a spiel that mentions Gwar. <laughs> Get out of here. I do. You told me to watch Gwar What's in My Bag. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And? Uh, some of it. Uh, most of it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> like, uh, okay. Zeke, yes. Sepultura, yes. Huge, yes. Mentors, meh. <laughs> One of the things I liked is they are talking about a Mentors album called You Axed For It, and they call it their Zeppelin 4. <laughs> <laughs> For the Mentors. Yeah. Come on. Uh, Beefcake the Mighty says, at one point he says, if you don't like Killing Joke, I don't like you. That was killer. Yep. Uh, obituary. Love them. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, uh, Jim Jarmusch, The Dead Don't Die. I watched that over Christmas. Yeah, that's a good flick too, eh? Yeah. I don't know. That one just screamed Brandt. Well, it looks like about 50% anyways. I At thought least. it would be 100% up your alley. Probably more like 75. Yeah, exactly. You noticeably excluded The Cure as predicted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, here's a cool thing, Ryan. Devin Sarno, who... Uh, played in an awesome L.A. band called Waldo the Dog-Faced Boy, kind of an art rock thing. Uh, he's played with everyone. He's tight with the SST crew and mainly the uh, 
Joe Biza and the Universal Congress of dudes. He's collaborated with Nels Klein, Thurston Moore, Mike Watt, Joe Biza, uh, Jack Brewer, and tons of others. And he's also got this label, Win Records, or he did, along with Tom Grimley, who was also in Waldo the Dogface Boy. He, for a while, was the de facto manager and roadie for Universal Congress of, and he's got this SoundCloud page called soundcloud.com slash UCO dash boots. And he sent a few links over to, to us. There's a This Is Mechalotics album in live form up on that oh, cool. uh, SoundCloud page, and also a live version of Prosperous and Qualified. Now, if you remember to our interview a few backs, weeks back with Jason Kahn, and if you're listening to this, if you're here for the Milo, do yourself a favor. Go back and listen to the Jason Kahn interview on episode 109 for Universal Congress of. He mentions a, a live radio performance during our interview. The uh, radio show that that performance was on was Devin's radio show called uh, Jazz Damage on uh, KXLU-FM. So he reached out because he heard the interview with Jason, their friends, and uh, he said he dug up the, the recording of some of those performances that Jason mentioned. There's one of Joe Biza and Paul Urias uh, together, just the two of them, and there's a short interview before it. And it's pretty interesting. They mentioned that the record had just come out Mike Demers and Paul Urias are already out of the band by the time this interview got recorded. Ralph Gordetsky and Steve Moss are in. They had just played their first show at the Stone in San Francisco. Not sure if it was with the first lineup or the second lineup. But interesting that by the time the album came out, the first lineup of Universal Congress of was already split up. Yeah, kaput. Yeah. The second recording that he put up is from about four months prior to this one that I just mentioned. And this is the one Jason mentioned, I think, during our interview. It's a one-off featuring Jason on drums, Mike Watt on bass, Steve Moss, and Lynn Johnston on horns. If you remember Lynn Johnston, he was in, played with Slovenly. He's on this Cruel Frederick album we're going to be getting to in a couple months. And he also has a solo album on Devin's Win Records, which De uh, Devin mm. sent me a copy of, too. Oh, nice. Yeah. All of that stuff is up on that SoundCloud page. And we started talking back and forth, Devin and I, and he says, I was asking him, do you, you know, do you know whatever happened to Paul Urias and Mike Demers? He didn't really know. <laughs> I was kind of complaining going back that, you know, it's a shame that these albums should be reissued and should have like these live versions on, on the reissues, you know, how great that would be. And, uh, he says, actually, I saw Joe tonight and he caught me up on a few things. He says, Paul is in LA still playing here and there. And it's interesting during the interview, Paul mentions that he's going to play with Robert Fripp. And he also said, Joe told him before universal Congress of, they were going as the band was going as Latino Baby Jesus. And they also did a few <laughs> shows under that name. That's a great name. Yeah. And he said he has a tape of that. And Watt was playing with them at that, like in that configuration of the band. 
Wow, that's cool. So that's like, that'd be early days of Firehose. Watt is moonlighting in some Biza bands, hey? Yeah. Well, don't that's forget he, cool. pl- he played on World Broken, right? Yeah, no, I know that there's a Saccharin Trust connection. It's just, this is a, a part of Watt getting back into playing bass after D. Boone passed that I was not familiar with. Yeah, good point. You usually hear about Chaconi Youth or or dose they yeah don't, you don't hear about this that's a good point yeah i mean i may have the chronology they that might be like years apart and i just don't realize it but it sounds like it's around the same time yeah okay one more quick update ryan for people who didn't listen i was telling you about how i read the flea book and i hadn't really kept up with the red hot chili peppers after blood sugar sex, sex magic you have so i asked you where should i start and you just kind of said start at the beginning so I took your advice and I started kind of where I got off with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and that's One Hot Minute from 1995. With Navarro, yeah, because yeah. I thought, I know you're like a big Janes fan, and I was like, why didn't you keep up with them for that record? I don't know, but the guitar playing is just super awesome, as one would expect. <laughs> and there's, I can tell like there's definitely some good songs. I Like I need to spend way more time with it, and I will. Like, I really only knew the one song. It has one of the worst Chili Pepper songs of all time, which was the hit, Aeroplane. Yeah. It's got a really good one, though, called Shallow Be Thy Game. The guitar playing in that song is just fucking awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, you better get into it and get ready for Flea's next book then, right? Yeah. Ryan, do you want to get into this Descendants record? Let's do it. History lesson, part one. It's kind of like, I was mentioning to you, Brant, this is kind of like when we got into the Bad Brains album, Eye Against Eye, like where there's a whole bunch that has happened before we get to this Descendants record. So I was going to give you a bit of a, a spielage on the Descendants from kind of the beginning-ish until all and a little bit beyond just to kind of set the stage for the interview with Milo. How does that sound? Would you mind, Ryan? Would you mind bringing me up to speed? <laughs> I wouldn't mind. Well, hey, like I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna hit the high notes here uh, because there's a great documentary, as you know, called Filmage on both the Descendants and All because they're th- those two bands are incestuously intertwined, and you you kind of have to know about both in order to know about either of them. And people should definitely check out that. There's a lot more detail in there. It's probably, you know, and I'll probably get a few things wrong as I speed through this here. The other place, though, that I thought I would mention that's a great resource is um, All, a while back, put out a a comp, like a best of. Right. And, yeah, on, uh, I I I think it might be Bill's label, Owned and operated recordings because it's for from Fort Collins, Colorado, where the blasting room's from. Um, but in it, there is a a diagram of the all and descendants family shrub, <laughs> and and you can see it, it lists out all of the incarnations by year and by record of descendants and all, but only up until the Mass Nerder record, right. which is. Uh, the all album that came out in 98 and of course the descendants have gotten back together and put out two records since then at least but 
check out the filmage documentary check out this family shrub in uh, the all greatest hits cd and uh bear with me as i just rip through some spielage on the descendants are you ready i'm ready you got your bonus cup ready yep okay here we go mug yep late 70s hermosa manhattan beach southern california Bill Stevenson, hanging out with Frank Nevetta. They get to know each other through the Nolte brothers in the last, loving that type of music. Frank coined the the band name The Descendants and uh, the D-E-N-T-S part of Descendants as well. Frank and Bill became bros. They bonded together over fishing and music. They're playing music with David Nolte, but then Tony Lombardo joined the band. And he's this older dude, but he fits in just right and they recorded their first single which came out in 1980 the ride the wild single on orca productions that's the label and we'll get to that those tracks on sst 145 the two things at once compilation which was originally released on new alliance re-released on sst around that time or shortly thereafter milo's hanging out and he's like hey i can sing and they're like yeah then sing so milo becomes the singer Milo, of course, one of the most iconic punk frontmen uh, of all time. And uh, as you'll see in a few moments here, one of the nicest dudes of all time, too. In, uh, in 1982, they put out the Fat EP, which uh, originally came out on New, New Alliance Records as well. Has songs like I Like Food, Hey Hey, My Dad Sucks on it. And we'll get to that one also on SST 145 and SST 212. 1982, the uh, they put out the first LP, Milo Goes to College, and Milo literally goes to college after that. That one was on New Alliance as well. We'll get to that one on SST 145 again, and also SST 142. And that's got the classics like I'm Not a Loser, Catalina, Suburban Home, Kabuki Girl. Then all of a sudden, Ray Cooper joins on guitar in 1982, but just for live shows. Milo's off at college. The band goes on hiatus from 83 to 85 then. But during that time, Bill joins Black Flag. And he's on all these records that we've covered already on the show, like Slip It In, My War, Loose Nut, The TV Party, 7-Inch, Process of Weeding Out, just some killer records, and especially the ones with Kira, For My Money. Then Nevada, Frank Nevada at some point, just leaves for good. And a miracle happens um, for the first, this is the first Descendants reformation, and with Ray Cooper remaining on guitar, it's their last album with Tony. It's the I Don't Want to Grow album. I Don't Want to Grow Up album, that is originally on New Alliance as well. We'll get to that one on SST 143. It's got classics like Good Good Things. I Don't Want to Grow Up on it. Then uh, Tony leaves and he joins the U.S. Postal Service. Tony's replaced by Doug Carrion. From Incest Cattle Brand, yes, which was uh, released on Water Under the Bridge Records last year, but of course also from Dag Nasty, he's on the Wig Out at Denko's and Field Day Records. Eventually, he's on uh, the Enjoy album, which comes out on New Alliance in 1986, which we'll get to at SST 242. Also with classics Sour Grapes, Get the Time, uh, Cheer. Uh, great songs on there. All of a sudden, Doug and Ray leave. 
and Carl Alvarez from the Bad Yodlers and Massacre Guys and Stefan Edgerton from the Massacre Guys. They join. Then this album comes out, all recorded in January 1987. Comes out as SST 112 on LP, CD, and cassette. And uh, we'll get into a bit more detail on that later on. They toured this record. They put out two live albums on SST, Liveage from 1987, which is SST-163, and then Hallraker, 1988, which is SST-205. And then Milo leaves again, and everyone's like, what's the deal, man? Then the band got a new singer, and they renamed themselves all, basically taking on the title from this uh, album and the pursuit of all. Dave Smalley joins, and they put out... um, all almost all of all's albums are on cruise. There's Alroy says, and Alroy from Prez in '88. Dave Smalley from DYS and Dagnasty, of course. Scott Reynolds joins for Alroy's Revenge, Trailblazer, Alroy Saves, Percolator. Then Chad Price joins for Breaking Things, Pummel, and Mass Nerder. Then it's 1996. Milo's back. It's a, another miracle. They record Everything Sucks for Epitaph. Then they go on hiatus again. Um, but they're back in 2004 for the Cool To Be You record on Fat. And finally, in uh, 2016, they put out Hypercafium Spazinate on Epitaph again. That's the tour that you and I got to see them on, Brant. Yes. Um, they still play together. And their last release was the Who We Are 7-inch, also on Epitaph in 2018 from Record Store Day. And that's a very ultra-quick history uh on the the band like descendants and all there's a ton of singles a ton of compilation appearances but that's just a preview of all the stuff that kind of came after and that we'll also get to further on in the show we're going to see the descendants a ton more times which is fantastic one of my favorite bands of all time super pumped to have milo on i just have to add one thing ryan and that's when Ray, ray cooper left the descendants he became swa that's right. <laughs> Your future, if you have one. Ray Cooper, that's man. Right. Yeah. No, that's right. That's cool. I forgot about that. Man, oh, man. It's been a while since we've had some swa. You know what? And before we get into uh, the Milo interview, I just got to mention one thing, too. So when you and I saw The Descendants in 2016, that's the second time I had seen them. I saw them, like, about a year and a half earlier at some outdoor thing in Edmonton, Alberta at this fly-in show that they did called Sonic Boom. Um, Now, it was the first time I had ever seen them. It was like a lifelong dream to see them. Uh, Again, like so many of their tunes were part, especially like the two things at once cassette when I was a kid. That was was a really important recording for me, listening just repeat listens for that one, right? So it was a big thing for me to see them. Uh, They were, I think, like headlining that evening with the new pornographers and rise against and they're friends with rise against and rise against put on uh, a pretty good show. I mean, they're pretty darn slick rise against, but they've got some great songs as well. It was cool to see them, but I was really there to see the descendants. Um, But this was the coolest part for me other than just like finally seeing them. The new pornographers are on, which is a Canadian like super group. And uh, they've got like, uh, is it Dan Bajar from Destroyer? Is that his name, I think? He's occasionally, I think, in the group, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, 
Nico Case is in the band. She wasn't at that show. And just a bunch of like Carl Newman is the main guy. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, they're superconductor, like, man. Uh, super see, I like superconductor, but the new pornographers, I don't know. And and this this show, there's like eight people in the band, and they've got like three MacBooks up there on stage, and they're complaining about the monitors, the whole show, and there's all these problems, blah, blah, blah. The new pornographers play. They've got some catchy songs. You know, I, I, this is not to slight them. It's just to show the comparison. New pornographers are done. Then it's time for the Descendants to come on. The Descendants come on, and Milo's not there, but it's just the three of them, uptight, close, at the front of the stage, a few monitor wedges, that's it. And Carl's like, we lost our singer. Then all of a sudden, Milo runs on, and he's like, hey, guys, good to see you, blah, 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 one, two, three, four. And then they just kill it for like 45 minutes, not missing a note, not complaining about all the stuff that like like the descendants just look like such uh pros right and you know they could just like do this in their sleep and it was so perfect and they even looked better following the new pornographers who had all this lights and fancy stuff that uh just didn't just didn't cut it man yeah it was uh the descendants like they totally achieved all during that set for me. It was cool. Awesome. Yeah. They just, they just showed up and it was like, boom, no stopping them for 45 minutes. Everything. They don't mess around, man. No, it's good. They're definitely pros. You got anything uh, you want to throw in there before we toss it over to Milo? No, man. Okay. Well, let's do it. Take it away. Okay, we're joined on the podcast today by Milo Ackerman. Milo, thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, great to, great to talk to you. So what we do, Milo, I'm not sure if I explained this to you, but what we're doing is we're going through the entire SST discography in order from start to finish, and we're on the Descendants album all. So I'm, all not, right. I'm not sure how your memory is. Some people have really good recollections going back that far, some not so much, but... We'll see. Uh, we'll see how deep you can go on this one. Yeah, I tend to be pretty bad about when we're on tour because when when I'm on tour, it's just you know, uh, you're just you're in the van and you're just driving from place to place, and you know, I get people coming up and saying, "Hey, remember that one show?" I go, uh, "Yeah, no, I don't." <laughs> the tour bubble. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe if you can take us back to 1986. I know around the time Ray and Doug. Uh, left the band you were halfway through the enjoy tour yeah yeah i guess that summer we did the we did the summer uh enjoy tour and uh got back from that and they were you know i mean it was a brutal long we used to do these like you know two-month tours or whatever and they came back and said yeah we're kind of we're kind of spent we're kind of done so you know it was just at that point it was just bill and me and we had to kind of figure out what we were going to do or, you know, get some new people or whatever. And, uh, Bill knew, uh, well, Bill called someone in, in Salt Lake and asked this person who I don't know who it was, do you want to play bass? Right. And the guy said, no, I, I'm, you know, I, I've got this other gig going on, so I can't do it. But, uh, I guess Carl happened to be, you know, staying at the guy's house and he heard, uh, 
she heard the guy was on the phone with Bill and said, "Oh, I can do it." You know, <laughs> so just by just by sheer luck, he was there in the background, kind of, uh, you know, uh, volunteering himself um, to come to come and play. So he he came he came down to to L.A. and and uh, started you know pl- practicing with Bill, right. and it was you know kind of a you know a perfect marriage, if if, if you will, of, of uh, you know their their two styles on bass and guitar, on bass and drums and so that was a real great start to the whole uh you know next phase and, and then uh, and then carl i guess stefan had called carl to, to congratulate him for being you know the new to send his bass player and carl said well look we need a guitar player too and stefan was living in dc at the time and right he said well yeah i'll come out and we'll, we'll, we'll you know i'll uh throw my hat in the ring so he came out, and uh, yeah, there, that was the new lineup, and it was—it's uh, the lineup as it stands today. So that's what forty-two years later. Crazy, hey? <laughs> yeah, forty-three years later. Yeah. yeah, there was never any question about whether or not you were actually going to continue after Ray and Doug left the band. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I was—I guess I would always—I was always kind of like, yeah, I don't know how much long I'm going to do this. I was always saying that because I wanted to go to college, and at that point, I'd been to college. But I was, uh, at some point during that period, I was thinking about grad school. But I, but we also had, sh- you know, I think we'd also had committed shows to do. Right. And thought maybe we could make an, another record, you know. So there was definitely an idea of making at least another record and doing some shows. And, and I never committed to more than whatever it was in, you know, the next few months or whatever. So, yeah, I, I think... We were Bill and I were both kind of like, yeah, let's just keep this ball rolling a little bit longer, just to see, you know. And, and but once he once we got Carl Stefan, it was kind of like, whoa, okay, this this is like this steamrolling entity. So that, I think that kind of helped make it make it an easy decision for making another record because it was so clear yeah. that this was the this was the you know the the solid the solid lineup that was just gonna you know kick butt. And uh, yeah, so I think in we started recording. The all record in January, I think. Kind of re-energized the band maybe a little bit with some, some yeah, new guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those guys came in with a whole different uh, take on. I mean, they came in with some incredible musicianship, but also just like a more experimental approach to music. They didn't just want to, you know, hey, you know, Ramones are great and all, but they wanted to be take it beyond the Ramones yeah. uh, level of like play, uh, playing and 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 com- composing music. So yeah, I mean Carl came in with a fully formed song, Coolidge. Um, Stefan came in with a bunch of riffs that, you know, he would com- he would he would toss in the mix and you know, or arrange and then and then here's my new song, you know, but no words. You know, he he wasn't gonna write any words. That right. was, you know, not not his bag. So he came in with like several instrumentals, um, and so you know it was the, it was the beginnings of some new material that we could try to work up. And it, so we hit the ground running with them completely. I mean, they had been in bands before because they, uh, cause Carl had been in uh, the bad yodelers and they'd both been in the massacre guys. Did you know that um, band before? Well, I, I'm sure they might have, maybe, maybe they played with us when we'd go through uh, Salt Lake, but I wasn't familiar with their music at all. No, I wasn't. But uh, I subsequently, you know, they'd play me some of their singles and stuff. Right. And you know it's cool. It's kind of like you know, Tia Well influenced oh, okay. kind of stuff. And yeah, they were yeah, they were 
that TSOL was one of their favorite bands back in the day. And oh, wow. so they, you know, you could tell even from those early recordings that they, you know, that they knew how to play and, and everything. And there's going to be, but yeah, when they started playing with us, it was, to me, it was like, it took it to a whole new level, you know, of just, because, you know, you know, I think with, with Doug and Ray, I mean, they were solid musicians, but these guys were, these guys were, you know, they played leads, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they could really uh, put together more complex kind of uh, melodies and, and, uh, and just, you know. Well, Carl's songs. playing too. I mean, he's, he's definitely influenced by Tony Lombardo. You can hear it, but he's, he's all over the neck too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he came he, he came in to me with the perfect marriage of uh, being rock solid with with Bill, but also just yeah, he could throw those Tony bass lines in there like nobody's business. Yeah. Um, I guess he you know he learned how to play bass playing along to you know Milo goes to college or whatever. So I think he it kind of was a kind of a seamless uh, a seamless uh, thing when he came in. Right. Yeah. So it was a. Uh, it was uh we could tell that there was something special there that we were you know that we could that we could uh, you know kind of tap into and make make another record with and um so that was the beginnings of it and i kind of entered into it and thought well maybe i can try to write some words for um for some of these stefan songs which i did to i'd say mixed results <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i i feel like i you know I did them justice on on some and then not on others, but part and parcel you get you get you get a bunch of experimental songs together. You know, you know it's it, it's a, it's risky. It's a risky business to to not just continue mining the same the same thread, basically. Yeah. Well, it can be difficult too. I mean, some of these tracks sound like they were not written. I mean, the the Stefan stuff for sure was not written with a vocalist in mind, even. No, not at all. Right. And there's certain ones where I, you know, in retrospect, I'd say. Hmm, maybe that could have been a good instrumental. <laughs> and then I kind of, you know, kind of trampled all over with these words. But I think another others of them I felt like, you know, I kind of added something to it or whatever, you know. So it's it's kind of a mix. It it almost reminds me a little bit of maybe like um the later era of Black Flag where Henry was almost trying to write lyrics to to stuff that was you know, that was written as an instrumental almost. Yeah, 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 I definitely uh some of that later stuff. I mean, I like I like that late some of that late Black Flag. It's in my head. It's such a great record. Um, but yeah, maybe some of that's the same thing. And 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 uh, where you just you just don't want to you don't want to uh, trample on the, what's happening instrumentally, but you want to say your piece or whatever, and, and you do the best you can. Yeah. Uh, and maybe something magical comes out of it. Maybe maybe it just sounds like a jumbled mess. You never know. Did you guys demo this record at all? No, I don't think so. I mean, we during this period, we, you'd spend a lot of time in the practice room, and because we lived out in uh, Lamita, California, which is kind of a town in the South Bay, South Bay of LA, right. um, and they'd taken a an office space and converted it into a combination rehearsal space and living area, basically, and so. Because we were all living there, you know, we practiced quite a bit because you'd wake up and, you know, have your cup of coffee and maybe practice. So there was a lot of practicing of, of the new material to the point where, you know, one, that's the best way. We've always found it's the best way to to record is to practice all the material. Now, we can't do that so much these days, but 
back then it really helped us out. It was to our advantage just to kind of practice all the material in the practice room and then just you go cut the record, you know, right. without a lot of demoing. We didn't really have access to, to kind of demo demo studios or anything. When you booked a studio, it was like you're just going to, you're gonna you're gonna book a studio just to basically you know do the recording. Right. Um, so no no demoing just just a lot of practice right. practice room kind of ha- hashing it out. And at some point, Bill comes to you or Bill and Pat maybe come to you with the concept of of all or is that something you already knew about from from being you know being friends with Bill? I guess I started hearing about it before that point because they were they were saying all for you know probably years before that. But uh, he said, he, I think it finally came to fruition, yeah, on the record, because he felt like it was a good, uh, you know, con- it, the concept had, had kind of blown up in his mind a bit uh, to, to, being, to being more of like a, of like a, philo- a life philosophy. It started out as this fun thing that they would do, but I guess the more he thought of it, the more he thought, oh, this, is a, this isn't a bad kind of life philosophy, so... Uh, Let's kind of milk it a bit just to see, uh, you know, is there something creative we can do with it? And that, you know, coming up with the song All <laughs> and, you know, the All Logistics themselves were this kind of like, it It kind of made it more of a full-fledged, you know, I wouldn't call it a religion, but more of a full-fledged way of life, uh, you know, to kind of follow the All Logistics and, right. uh, you know. So some of that's just total fun. Yeah. And we always... It seems like we always throw a bunch of, you know, goofy stuff. We try to throw a bunch of goofy stuff in just because it reflects that we don't take ourselves too seriously, basically. Yeah. And that was that was that was where all logistics came from. And again, it was Stefan's music. So Stefan came in with this crazy bit of music, and we thought, well, what are we going to do with this? You know. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Bill started writing down these all logistics and I helped him write some of the all logistics and we thought, well, there we go. We've got, we got these words that we can put over this crazy music that Stefan did. And, uh, you know, and then that became part of the whole, you know, I guess theme of the album. If you look at the co- the cover art and you look at the all logistics and you look at the having all on there and, you know, it's kind of fun to have, something in, in interviews where you can just kind of try to fuck with people a little bit too. <laughs> when you start talking about the all, you start talking, talking about the concept of all and you can, you can act all serious about it. And you know, it's partly a joke, but, but it's partly serious as well. So I think people are trying to suss it out. Like, are they serious with this? Or is this, <laughs> you know, these guys off their rockers or what, you know? So that was fun. Well, I think the humor and the inside jokes are, you know, one of the, most endearing things about the descendants, you know, it's the, that dichotomy of, of the, the love songs and then, you know, the fart and wiener jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and we've always, we've always been full of inside jokes. Cause we just, you know, if you joined the band, you were part of this like family. It was like a whole, your, your life revolved around it and you were immersed in the, just the touring mentality. And part of it, part of our touring mentality was really just to try to stay sane. Right. And part of part of, part of the way you stay sane is you kind of go a little insane, and you just and you kind of like make up your own, like you said, your own uh, uh, kind of way of looking at life, or in the case of like the enjoy, you make up all these, you know, fart jokes. You know, <laughs> just you know, you look back and it's like none of that was like very humorous or mostly sophomoric, you know, humor. 
but at the time, it, it, at the time, it was a way for us to kind of just, you know, kind of form this little inside bonding family that, you know, where you where you spoke almost in a different language. Do you mind if I ask you about a few of those inside jokes? I mean, maybe they're just totally nothing, but I'm I'm curious well, about. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe I still remember them, or maybe I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Um, the base master general is Pat. The base master general. I guess he, yeah, probably, probably is the base master general. Um, you know, and uh, I think we, I think some of the artwork for the, for either that record or for the tour, the subsequent tour, we actually had Carl draw what he, what his rendition of who the base master general is, which doesn't look anything like Pat, but at any rate, I mean, yeah, I think probably Pat was, Pat was, uh, uh, either the inspiration for or was the base master general. Um, you know, and it's, of course you can just, you can also just say that, you know, similar to like God or whoever that, you know, you, you, that the base master general is this undefinable all knowing figure or something like that, you know, right. It's a being that the whole, the whole joke was that it was this new, this, this new religion that we were making up. Right. Now, what what about the psalm of all the qua qua thing? Is that just a funny thing? <laughs> a funny thing, or is it it's, rooted? Yeah, in it's just a funny. I think it was like when Stefan wrote it. I think he wrote the song, and the very first thing that came out of it was like, "Oh, we have to say qua qua over this part," and it, that, and then that got us that got attached to that part, and then because we were then writing it as this uh, sermon, as this religious sermon, that it became. It, it then seemed obvious that that would be a chant that some you might you might chant it at some religious ceremony or something like that yeah so yeah and adding the word age to the end of world words like coolidge myage toniage liveage yeah that's bill that was bill's thing i think when he, he wrote i think myage was his first song he ever wrote and he had this was still in he was still in high school and he got in the habit of just adding edge to everything i don't know why but i just think it was this you know kind of vocal tick that he picked up or just you know you know how kids there might be certain things that they do that that you that define you know them as a person you know and and him saying edge was one of his things just a catchphrase you know, everyone has their thing <laughs> yeah. and that was his thing yeah. uh and so he wrote so the, of course the first song he writes he says well, what are you gonna call it? i'm gonna call it my edge because it's my first song <laughs> and that started it out and then he and then he wrote a song that where the where the original lyrics were about a bike, and that was bikeage. But then he changed the lyrics, right. <laughs> <laughs> but kept the name bikeage. Um, so he was calling his songs bikeage. Then when then when uh, when Carl joined the band, he said, "Well, I got the song, you know, cool guy anymore. I'm not a cool guy anymore. So we didn't want to call it I'm not a cool guy anymore. And he said, let's call it Coolidge." And but instead of it being AGE, you know, call it IDGE because that's the name of the president, Coolidge. Uh-huh. So that was, you know, I was just kind of totally, you know, that's the kind of thing where when he came in and gave it that, we thought, oh, this guy's going to work out really well because it's like, <laughs> it's like silly and stupid yet, you know, puts a little bit of there's an intellectual or whatever, you know, thing aside to it as well. You right. know, in that song, uh, like following the solo somebody hits a hits a bum note right i think we were we were trying to be like if the beatles weren't cool 
<laughs> because it's a song about not being cool. So if the Beatles were doing their thing where they were doing these harmonies and the get the last guy like hit a bum note in the harmony and he's like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> because we're not cool. Right. You know? That's that song is so universal because I mean, we really embraced the fact that we weren't cool. And I feel like we're still that band. I mean, we've gotten more popular or whatever, but we're still not cool. <laughs> Never will be. Okay, Van, the song. T- tell me about the Descendants' Van. Did you trick your van out? Like, did you put bunks in it and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think our first van we ever had, we we hadn't learned, you know, we, haven't, we hadn't really learned the ins and outs of that. I think the first van we had, we just loaded the equipment in, and then we just, we'd, we'd all pile on top of the equipment. <laughs> but I think very quickly we figured out, hey, we need to put a stack in. So it was all about the stack. And the stack was literally just a board that you erected um, maybe about a foot and a half from the ceiling. And all the equipment fit underneath that board. And then above the board was now a nice sleeping area. Uh-huh. And so you load the equipment in and, you know, shut the back door. And then everyone's getting ready to go to the next city. But... You got, everyone's got to you got to sleep because you got to take your your you got to take your turn behind the wheel later on. So it's like you got the driver in the front t- tanking up on coffee, and you got everyone else trying to go to sleep on this stack in the back. Uh, and uh, that's that's how that's how tricked out we got <laughs> for the first several of our vans. Is literally you just had the stack. But what about go sleep? What about sleeping on a loaf though? Oh yeah, the loaf was just you. You know, because you, you, no one ever thought to bring a pillow, because right. because we're just like, oh shit, I forgot a pillow. So then you just grab something to to use as a pillow, and that was your loaf. <laughs> the so sleeping on a loaf was just like you were sleeping on like a dirty, you're like a dirty clothes bag would be the worst one to pick. But you know, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you'd come up with something that didn't smell or whatever, and that became your pillow or loaf. Um, right that you use. So, yeah, I learned later that, that, uh, lo- and then loaf became a word that, that, that had started to be, mean a lot of different things like pillow or, but it could mean, you know, like, uh, your, your, maybe your suitcase or whatever. It, it came to mean a variety of different things. And I learned later that Husker du had their own, theirs was wig. Uh-huh. So they would call things wig, you know, and everything was a wig. And so, which is how they came, I guess they right. called their record flip your wig. But, you know, so their wig was our loaf, basically. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what about playing the last tape? Talk about the last. We're going to be coming up to them in, you know, 80 or so episodes here for some of their, their reunion stuff, Confusion and Awakening. But I know you and Bill yeah. were big fans. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, I guess we just, we would listen to all kinds of stuff on the road, but, I mean, obviously one of them was last. And so... Anytime we can have a shout out to the last, we'll do it. That probably wasn't even the first song where we put them in there. I mean, they wouldn't see. Uh, no, I guess we didn't put them in Tonyage. We put the urinals in Tonyage, kind of a related band or right, whatever. But yep. uh, yeah, it's like having a shout out to bands like that is important for us, just to kind of it, it's it's kind of paying homage to our to our influences. They were, you know, obviously a big influence on us right. uh, growing up, and yeah. 
played the laugh in the van, I'm sure, along with <laughs> the Bad Brains yep. and, you know, Black Flag and all those other bands. So, yeah. Now, with when Bill's writing a song like Kamich, for example, how fully formed is he, is he bringing those songs, like the soul, the soul rights that he's doing by himself? Like, we know he's a great guitarist, yeah. so... Uh. Yeah, he, he, he tends to write songs in this holistic manner of just, like, it just, you know, the, the fully formed song comes to him. Yeah. That's how he describes it, you know, and, and, and I, I think it's, it, it could be the case that he gets a chorus and a verse and whatnot fairly quickly. He may he may flesh it out with a second verse or something like that or whatever, right. but at any rate, the 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 main choruses and the and the verses probably do come kind of, you know, from the from the ether as you might say yep. is how he describes it. I've written some songs that way. I mean, I've I've written songs of different kinds of ways, but he he tends to write that one way, yeah. and so you know I think he describes like clean cheese for example being like it just he just you know woke up and it was like the song was there in front of him you know just you know, the chorus was kind of written while he was sleeping or something like that and just kind of came. Yeah, so that's you, you hear songwriters talk about that, right? Like Keith Richards, yeah. for example, you hear him just, he woke up and the song was in his head, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've, I've, I've written choruses. I don't, know, I don't know if I've written a whole song that way, but I've definitely written choruses that just kind of like, you know, came to me. Yeah. A lot of times I'm just, I'm just kind of tossing around kind of a, a, uh, like a lyric in my head for a lot of, for me a lot of times a lyric does come first yeah. but pretty quickly if you're just kind of thinking about a lyric in your head you can you can imagine or you can hear kind of a melody that might get associated with it just in your head you haven't picked up an instrument or anything but just in your head you've got some kind of lyric with an associated melody and then you know you can start to build songs that way without even having an instrument you know and, yeah. and i've had that happen before too Jealous of the World is one that you wrote on this album. Yeah, it didn't make the fine, it didn't make the, the the original, you know, bit, but I think we put it I think when you when you I think we put it on there as a It's on the CD and the cassette. Yes, right. When in the kind of expanded formats it did make it on there. Yeah, that was just I mean, I think I've always kind of had an inferiority complex about being a music, you know, musician slash songwriter and i think that that was my that was probably my uh you know way of trying to come to terms with the fact that i was just really just almost jealous of you know other people's ability to be be a musician i always found it to be something that didn't come naturally to me either songwriting or being in a band none of it came really naturally to me and and that was probably what i was talking about in a specific way about being jealous you know and and of course as as what happened after that point is i did go off to grad school thinking i'm going to try my fortunes in this other area i i kind of felt like like i maybe i was more suited to be a scientist than a musician it never seemed like i really i never really felt uh kind of like on the same level to say Bill, for example, right. to be able to, to be able to come in or, you know, Carl, he, he rolls into the band and he's like, I got this song and it's like, cool. It's just like, fuck dude, man, <laughs> he just rolled in with this and I'm struggling to write, you know, some thing or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, 
I I don't shy away from some of those, I guess, darker emotions that I might have, and that was one of them, just to be jealous of just everything. Yeah. You know, it's not a good it's not a good look, <laughs> but made for a song, anyways. Well, you wrote the music for sure, and I think part of some of the lyrics for Pep Talk, which. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's probably one of the most underrated Descendants tracks. You must hear, like, people must request that song when you play live. Yeah, we started to get requests for it. I mean, and I think, you know, it, it probably could have gone on to, you know, summary, the, the best of. I think it was maybe, you know, one that one that could have gone on there. Because I think it's one of the best rec- best songs on that record. Yeah. I mean, what I like about it, what the, the reason why that song is special to me, is that it's the one example of where, you know, I wrote music, Bill wrote lyrics. Yeah. You know, we've done things where he, I've he's written some music and I've written some lyrics and of course most of our songs are just me us working kind of in in isolation. He he likes, you know, he mostly writes in isolation. I mostly write in isolation too, but those few examples where we shared, you know, a creative moment are special to me. And that's one where I had written this uh, you know, music part uh, you know, pretty much the whole song, and was like, "Here's my song, no, no words." <laughs> and he said, "Oh, uh, yeah, I could, maybe I should write a chorus for that." He came in with the chorus pretty quickly with it, yeah. and and I said, "Okay, well now we've got like a theme, we got something to work with," and I wrote a second verse, and and kind of fleshed it out with my own words, um, you know, and I can remember thinking. When he wrote the chorus, like, oh, this is so corny. You know? <laughs> I mean, and we never, we don't shy away from being corny. I mean, but his, it was corny. And I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to like make reference to the fact that it sounds like a beer commercial. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, know you deserve the best, right. but it's up to you to get it. To me, it sounded like a beer commercial. So then I wrote the second verse about, you know, watching TV, watching sports and Getting to watching TV and getting into a beer commercial, you know. Right. So it's just kind of self-referential, but yeah, that was fun to kind of write together with him on that because uh, we hadn't really done it before, and you know, it just I think it just goes to show you what we try to do is I've tried, and especially in my more recent writing, to to try to write in different ways, right? Not just always be you know taking the same route to the song, you know. Uh, going with the whole like you know there's more more than one way to skin a cat, and I that's how music should be I guess there's many different ways of doing it, and that this record's a good example of that because you've got Bill coming in with fully fledged songs, but then you got Stefan coming in with musics that I had to make lyrics for, so yeah it's just, it's kind of a good mix. You write on guitar? Yeah yeah I was I had written pep talk on guitar. Uh, it, it's kind of typical for me to just to string a bunch of bar chords together and say, Hey, here's my song. Right. And that, cause that's all I really know how to do. Yeah. Um, is, is, is just right, right. Using bar chords, um, or, you know, just open chords either, but, um, writing, I, I writing, I mean, Jello Biafra yeah. wrote many amazing De- dead Kennedy songs by humming them. <laughs> by humming them. Yeah. yeah and I know, I, I also know people that wrote songs on piano and then just, like said, here's my song, and then they took that and you know put it into a rock format or something like that. That's, not, that's always cool too to, when I hear people doing that way. So yeah, I think uh, I tend to 
you know, use all manners of doing it. But um, like Stefan and I have written a bunch of songs for a new record, and uh, he's I learned stuff from him about just you know how he writes, starting with the music, and then you know works out melodies from that, and 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 I kind of I I had done that in the past, but I hadn't really taken such a such a detailed approach to it as he had taken, you know, and I kind of learned stuff from him along the way. So yeah, I think pep talks, one of those ones where he was music first, then Bill came in with a chorus lyric and I kind of fleshed it out. So it's, it's nice to just have it be kind of a back and forth, tossing the song back and forth and finishing it that way. Right. But yeah, we get, we get requests for that. It's fun to play. I'm I, pretty proud of it. Yeah. The big hit, of course, or one of the bigger hits, is Clean Sheets. You, you released it as a single. You never did yep. a video f- for any of the songs on this album that I'm aware of. We try, I think we tried to do a video for Coolidge, and I don't think it ever... We, I mean, there's some. I think there's footage for Coolidge somewhere. Yeah. You know, maybe Bill's got, uh, you know, reels of, of footage for that, but never it never uh you know came to fruition to have that no so hmm. it was for some reason for some reason we never really you know kind of placed a lot of emphasis on videoizing any of these right songs but yeah but what about um, college but, radio with the single like you're getting into the era era where some of some of your contemporaries are really starting to benefit from from college radio did you did you guys notice an uptick in in attendance at all yeah yeah i think we were getting college radio airplay was with you know coolidge and clean sheets for sure um and uh you know i i I think we did that last the last few all tours and and the last few sorry descendants tours touring for the all record and and you know i think the crowd sizes were starting to go up yeah which of course then i left and went to grad school so i was kind (laughs) of Typically, I shot myself in the foot right. just when things were getting big, you know. But, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, I, I think uh, we probably benefited from that, yeah. uh, from from the beginnings of that college radio kind of boom, for sure. Uh, a few of these songs, like Impressions, what's another one? Iceman, I know you played that live, but it's almost like a jazz track. Did you Did you play Impressions live, do you know? No, 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 we never played it live. That would have been great. I still think we should do it just to blow people's minds. Because, I mean, that would mean Stefan goes and gets some acoustic guitar from the side of the stage and, like, <laughs> you know, and then and that would be great. No, but, you know, I think we fi- we realized that, A, it's not a typical Descendant song, which doesn't make it bad or anything, but, but B, pulling something like that off live, maybe it was like, uh nah, we're not going to do that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that was, I mean, you know, it just when I'm, when I'm talking about trying to write for Stefan's songs, I felt like Impressions is where it actually worked. Um, it's almost even like though, a like rock song or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, he had, um, he'd moved from Salt Lake to D.C. I don't know if he played in any bands in D.C., but he had started taking classical guitar lessons okay and so he basically immersed himself in the classical guitar just before he came out to join the band and that's he had worked out this this one piece i guess you'd call it it's a piece <laughs> and uh and he he played it for all of us and we said well yeah let's uh 
let's see if we can make a song out of this. Let's see if we can make a, you know, a descendant song out of this. And uh, so I wrote lyrics for it. And my lyrics were, I had taken a poetry class and I just, I had written something along the lines of what you read in, in that song. And it seemed to fit the mood of, this, of that song. And I, I kind of edited it, edited it uh, to make, to make, to fit it like a song format. And then just that, that's how that song came about. Interesting. So you took a poetry class, like as an adult or in high school, are you talking? This was in college. I was at this point, I was, you know, I was down at San Diego as an undergrad, finishing up my undergrad degree and had to, had to take one more, you know, humanities elective. So I took a poetry course and, you know, wrote some really bad doggerel. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It was, a. Uh, it wasn't even purebred doggerels, mutt <laughs> doggerel. Um, yeah, but that was one. You know, I think I pilfered some of my own poem to to write uh, to write impressions right. and put stick it over Stefan's music. You know, sometimes that works. I, I like the song. It, we, it's just not a typical song for us, but I think you know it kind of gets the point across. It's it's uh, and you know you get to hear you know when you know you don't often get to hear the Descendants playing acoustic, you know, classical influence guitar so that's cool i mean i think it's awesome that you guys you and bill were open to that instead of you know a lot of people would ju would have just gone you know that's cool but it, it's not a descendants it's not yeah. gonna work for our band you know yeah yeah i think uh we've that this i guess for, for whatever reason because i think about you know some of the later records we did like everything sucks that's pretty much straight ahead like we want to rock and be the ramones but when when these guys when colonel seven first joined i think we were like a blank slate of sorts. I I think, I think we were we were so we were so impressed and so enamored of their artistry. These right. two guys that came in that I think it was like, well, we got to just let this happen. You know, <laughs> don't don't stifle it right. <laughs> for sure. Don't stifle it. Yeah, like Iceman is almost a jazz track, and I mean like. Yeah, it's got some weird time signature going on in it. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I again just came up with some crazy lyric to go over it. That was, I think, that was close to our to my attempt to try to to try to do what Black Flag was doing at that time within my head, that kind of thing. Okay. So yeah. How was that play, Iceman Cometh? How was that on your radar? I had done in what was it? I think high school. I had done a book report on Eugene O'Neill. And so I knew I was familiar with all of his plays, okay. and that one was so depressing and so dark. <laughs> um, and you know, I I don't think I had the play itself or you know the plot of the play in mind, but more the title because I think I was writing a song about I was writing a song just about how cold I was, just and how how not fully formed as a as an empathetic human I was you know, at that time, or just, just as a, as a young adult. Right. Um, and, you know, struggling to, struggling to, to, to find meaningful relationships, struggling to find relationships where I could, where I could open up and not just be this closed off Iceman type person. Right. Um, so that's where the, that's where the lyrics started. I realized later that there's a line in there about he, he's not like, he can't dream which is kind of what happens in the in Iceman cometh the play because they everyone needs you know the, one of the themes of the play is everything everyone needs to have a, a 
pipe dream, and they they call it a pipe dream in the play, but it's to have dreams because otherwise you just you may as well just die. Right. Without dreams, you you just die, and that's where I think maybe that's what I might have been thinking of when I wrote that line. He's not alive; he can't dream. You know, it's kind of relates that 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 line does relate back to the play, but but in general, it's just stealing the it's just stealing the title really <laughs> more than anything. Yeah. And then a few of the songs like schizophrenia to me almost sounds like the riff almost sounds like iron maiden or something and even jealous of the world's pretty riffy and and you guys had kind of explored some of that stuff on enjoy enjoy did like what was the i guess what was the reception to that stuff did people were they cool with it were you guys listening to metal uh yeah i mean i i think some some of metal i i was you know obviously some of us blown away by i mean we we went we were huge you know, Sabbath fans. The speed metal of later, I, I, I appreciated just for the sheer, you know, kind of balls to the wallness of it, you know, and, and uh, some of that kind of crossover metal. I mean, we played with a lot of those crossover metal bands, and I always thought it was, you know, kind of a cool uh, uh, take right. on metal. I, don't, I didn't go deep in with a lot of metal. I mean, I wasn't like a, you know, like a very deep metal fan. But and in fact, you know, we did who's we did sorry uh, not, we did uh, uh, hurt and crew on enjoy, which is kind of our spoof right on spoof on speed metal. <laughs> so, but I think also just the musicianship you have to impress, be impressed by, and and I think we, you know, I was, you know, probably jealous of the world again. Just was like jealous of the world was just like this cool uh, riff that I played a lot. Yeah. And thought, well, I, I keep playing this one riff. I should just write a song based on the riff and did it that way. Um, you know, Schizophrenia was one of these ones where Stefan wrote this really complex piece of music. And that's one where I'm talking about it should have remained an instrumental. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one I'm referring to. I, I just, you know, and we never played it live. Yeah. I mean, I think it was just one of those complete. Uh, probably most experimental or uh, self-indulgent songs that we've ever done. And, you know, I probably just ruined it. And that, you know, I, I think if we were ever to play it again, I would just walk off stage and let them do it as an <laughs> instrumental. It's kind of one of those things where you have, when you have a guy who can shred in your band, you kind of have to, or you, you yeah. want to let them <laughs> show what they can do. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, I guess we already had this song Uranus, that 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 was in fact an instrumental, and so we thought, well, we can't have two instrumentals, right? Okay, well, maybe write some words for this one. <laughs> but you know, no instrumentals maybe. aren't something that was were also you know not new to the Descendants. You'd done them before. This is maybe a question for Bill, but I've I've always wondered, and maybe you know something about this. I I thought I had read at some point, I believe it was all was talking about doing a totally instrumental album do you know anything about that yeah i think that they i think that they may have recorded some of it hmm. um to do to do yeah like you said like fully instrumental and it would have been a bunch of songs like schizophrenia or something like that right yeah um because they they didn't they know their way around a good kind of like mahavishnu-esque right uh you know thing i mean i think that's that's their touch touch point for a lot of this is that Stefan came out to to you know 
to do to do guitar with us, and I think that he and Bill bonded over Mahavishnu Orchestra. Right. And and so it was like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and so that that was that was the original. That led to something like Schizophrenia and Uranus, right. uh, and then they you know, they would also obviously in the band all they did even more of that. So that's why all all could be considered this kind of bridge record between the Descendants and what became all because it's uh, they started just getting more and more uh, experimental and just very uh, committed to to really playing complex music. Yeah, the the riffs definitely got more angular after this. Yeah, this one's the first one that's on SST. I'm assuming this is the the period where New Alliance was kind of in transition. Do you suppose this would have come out on New Alliance if if things would have stayed the same? I, I think New I believe New Alliance was already kind of fold folded. Even I I think I mean obviously at some point it got it got absorbed into SST. Right. New Alliance just got absorbed. I'm not I guess I'm maybe not exactly sure exactly when that happened, but but they. Uh, we put Enjoy out on Restless, which was a subsidiary of Enigma, and so I think my understanding was is that you know going going back either going back to New Alliance was either not even considered or wasn't even possible. Right. I'm not even sure at that point. You, you maybe you know better than I do, so <laughs> I don't know. I just the the the, uh, the actual timing of of the absorption of New Alliance by SST. I don't really know. It, it was around this time, I think. Yeah. 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 It made sense for us to be on SST, anyways. I mean, you know, because we our history with those guys, and and you know, being on New Alliance is almost just like being on the baby label of right. SST. Yeah. yeah. Did you go into the recording, kind of knowing that this was going to be your last record and tour? Um, I I think yes for me yes because I can say that. You know, I that at this point, at the time we recorded this, I'm sure I had applied in, to grad school. I'm not sure I got accepted anywhere, but I probably had applied, and so I had already put the wheels in motion yeah. for what was going to happen in fall of '87. And so, you know, we put the record out uh, in April, I guess, uh, and toured that summer, and then did the final final tour that must have wrapped up you know, at, by the end of summer. Yeah. And then that was it. You know, I was, I was off to grad school. And, uh, you know, I, at that point, um, I think Bill had already talked to Dave Smalley about maybe he could, you know, be, be the singer and that they would, you know, have it be a new band name and everything right. like that. So it was all, I think they hit, they pretty much hit the ground running with that as soon as I was gone. And, very quickly all became my favorite band <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Now, what about some of the bands you played with on that final tour? I I think I read somewhere that you played with Tony Lombardo's band. Do you oh, that? yeah. I think he was in this, he was in this band called Boxer Rebellion. Yeah. And uh, Boxer Rebellion actually was where the band that Scott was in as well. So, oh. so we, we got introduced to Scott pretty early on uh, because touring touring doing doing some shows with boxer rebellion um and so you know we saw this guy's i think they might have even done mary the song mary okay yeah, yeah i mean and so you know that was scott's song from way back when right and so yeah so it was we played some shows with them 
trying to think of other bands we might have played. MIA opened some of the dates. MIA, we did we did a whole tour with MIA. Yeah, yeah. So they they were fun. They were they were nice guys. Rollins Band or or some early incarnation of the Rollins Band. Yeah, yeah. I remember playing several shows with them. They were so good. I mean, so powerful. I remember playing a show with them in like somewhere I think in the Panhandle, Florida, Florida Panhandle, where we all played behind chicken wire. <laughs> Those kind of shows. I'm not sure why, but some for some reason we were playing behind chicken wire along, and so uh, it was us, us and Rollins Band and may have been in MIA as well, I'm not sure. And you also played up in my neck of the woods, I believe, with SNFU. Right. I remember playing with SNFU and the Doughboys at some point. Oh, wow. Doughboys, Do we, Do we played several shows with around that period as well, I, I believe. Amazing. You mentioned that you and Carl have maybe been writing a few songs. Can you tell us anything you can share about 2020 plans for, for The Descendants? Well, yeah, we do have plans on putting a record out, uh, and it's 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 been me and Stefan pretty pretty much. It's, okay. Uh, it's uh, you know, Stefan's become hella pro prolific all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, and it's, he has this whole work you know songwriting routine. I mean, like he takes the kids to school, right. and then he comes back and he goes into his basement and figures, well, I'm going to try to write a song, or I'm going to you know, futz around here. And maybe there will be a song happening. So he goes to his guitar and, and hopes that creative stuff happens. So that I, I got to give him a lot of credit for just you know just having a good work ethic for that. Right. So he came. He's written about like thirty, forty oh, wow. songs. Yeah. Now you know a lot of them don't have words. So I've been I've been writing my own songs. But in addition to writing my own songs, I've been he's been sending me his uh, musics. Um, and I write words for his, so we have completed. We've got twenty five, twenty five plus wow. songs. Double album between. Yeah, it's with me and Stefan, <laughs> and the the main the main thing right now is that we we're not going to put out a Descendants record. That's just a Stefan and Milo ah. uh, creative effort. It's got to be a Stefan Milo Bill Carl creative effort, and so we are we're encouraging. Bill and Carl to write some songs, and I think you know that's kind of where we're at with it. Oh, cool. And you know, the thing is, is, we've talked about how you know Bill's creative process. I mean, he writes the most amazing songs. I mean, he, but but the the way that they happen is through some form of, uh, you know, they just coming happen. out of <laughs> it. Just happens. Yeah. They come out of the ether. <laughs> right. But as you can imagine, that sometimes things don't come out of the ether that readily. Right, and so I, you know, I've talked to him, like, hey, let's let's write songs together because I, I feel like you know we want to we do want to put another record out, and I think he he's understanding that that we're all on the same page here, but but we it's got to be all of us together, and you know I think therein lies the the rub. We we're we're gonna it may take another several months, or it could be longer. Because yeah. it's just it's got to all happen. It's got to be all four members firing in all cylinders, you know, contributing. Are you and, uh, are you spread out geographically? Yeah, we are. Yeah. So you know, I've I've said, hey, send me stuff. You know, send me if you got like, you know, if you got a chorus, send along the chorus. I'll write a verse. You know, right. if you've got you know that kind of thing. But you know, because he he has a that very particular way of writing, where so that's not something that. Uh, that he's suited to do right now, basically. 
the thing that Stefan and I have going where he writes music, I write lyrics, that's worked out really well. And I keep hoping we can maybe expand that format out to the other members of the band. But Well, that doesn't sound too different from what you did on, on this record that we're talking about. You know, like, hey, I have these riffs. What can you do with them? Yeah. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's somewhat of a return to that. In fact, when I started writing songs for Stefan's music, when I started, when I started writing lyrics for Stefan's music, I thought, oh, this is great. I can redeem myself <laughs> for what I did to his song. <laughs> or just the one, you know, I mean, I, I have to redeem myself for schizophrenia. Really, that's what it comes down to. Uh, so I said, oh, yeah, I, this is going to work out so much better. Because, I mean, he's... These days, when Stefan writes that kind of a thing with a, where he has a music, he's actually writing um, uh, a melody along with it, and that's that's something where it's kind of cool because, you know, he can take a song up to, you know, it's the seventy-five percent mark, and I can kind of go, oh, this is, you know, if I'm just, if I'm just going to be lyric guy, right? That's a good framework for me to be working with because he does write good melodies as well. Yeah. And so, and he, what he does is he, he writes, he says, I got this new song and I wrote, and here's the, here's the fricka. And he calls it the fricka. <laughs> and that's where he's, he, you know, he uh, has, he, he's got the music, but he, but the melody is this thing where he, he kind of makes up nonsensical words on top of it. <laughs> and right. he's singing these nonsensical words, but that's how he writes the melody. And, you know, it took me to my advanced age to realize that there's a lot of people that do it that way. It's like, really? Okay, I didn't know that. But I mean, people will write songs literally where the the entire song's written, including a melody with some syllables, but the syllables don't make sense. <laughs> right. Now I need to make now I need to make these syllables make sense, and so you need to actually insert some real words in there. But I mean, that's you know, Rise Against writes songs that way, for example. But and, and uh, so that you know, I'm sitting, I'm sitting there going, man, no one ever told me this before. Like, <laughs> is that how you do it? Yeah. Well, melody's a tough one that I I think a lot of people don't consider. I mean, I don't I don't for sure. But I yeah, of all of all the avenues, that was just an avenue that I hadn't really explored, and and I I don't know why, other than the fact that. I don't want to be singing nonsensical words ever. Right. <laughs> so, but I mean, somebody so, has to consider the melody or you're just, you're stuck with Iron Man over, over yeah. and over, you know? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, uh, that's where, that's where these songs are somewhat different than the, um, the songs on, on the all record, because on the all record, literally he just had music, right? No melody, no anything. So I was coming in and writing words and it was a period where I think I was influenced again by Back Flags, like who needs melody? Right. You know, if you got words, if you got a song with a bunch of, you know, with an instrumental part, and then you've got Henry or, or me <laughs> just kind of barking words over it, who needs to have a melody? That was kind of the thinking back then. And I, you know, I probably could still write songs that way, but, but now that Stefan comes in with a fricka, it's like, hey, there's a nice melody there. And I don't necessarily always follow his fricka entirely, but it it has it, it is it has been helpful to me to try to, to, to think about like, well now I just focus on the words, you know, and I could I can say whatever I want to say, but it's got this nice melody uh, to go along with it. And so that's kinda of, we've written some of these newer ones and and it's been it's been fun from a creative standpoint. Well keeping it fun is very important. Yes. 
I mean, that's the only reason we're doing it. I mean, and I feel like I I don't ever want to just phone it, and I want I want like I want to be able to learn new stuff. So I did. I learned new stuff just doing these songs with Stefan. In fact, after he'd given me all these songs with Fricka, I said, "Well, I'm going to write one of them Fricka songs." So then I wrote a Fricka song <laughs> of my own. Well, we're, I know I speak for all our listeners when I say we're totally looking forward to that. That's really cool to hear that, and any new descendant stuff, of course. And and uh, I yeah, I'm looking for I'm looking forward to making progress on it. I I think you know some of the songs that we wrote are just while they are descendant songs, they they kind of are a, a new, a, like a new and improved version of of what we could what kind of songs we can write and just what we can write about. And but yeah, it's. Uh, that's all stuff that's been recorded. I mean, we've recorded, uh, you know, fully recorded st- stuff of, with me and Stefan. So now, you know, we're just kind of, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting to see what I can do to help the whole thing move forward. Wow, that's exciting. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Right on. Milo, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to, to me today. It was really fun talking to you. Cool. Yeah, well, so I guess that covered the record. Yeah. Is there a song we didn't talk about? I don't think so. I don't know. I think no, we, had them we all. talked about them all. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one last thing about Van. Yeah. Because I wanted to mention, I meant to mention this about Van. That original lyric came about because we were sitting in our van and and listening to uh, Thomas Dolby. No, not Thomas Dolby. Wait, who's the guy that wrote here in my car? Oh, uh, that was Gary Newman. That's the guy. Yeah. Gary Newman, here in my car, and I said, here in my van, I can beat my small cock. <laughs> so then they go, ha, ah, we wrote a whole song where we changed Gary Newman's song to here in my van instead of here in my car. And then when Stefan came in with the, Stefan came in with that music, I just said, screw it, I'm going to put here in my van over that. <laughs> but Light it started ball. out as like a, it started out as a spoof on Gary Newman, so that's kind of <laughs> neat little thing too that is awesome yeah <laughs> milo thanks so much man really appreciate it cool that's great all right what can you say super great guy and hey i need to thank chris barry who connected me with milo chris and uh his buddy ryan mcdonald are writing a book on the history of the south bay punk scene 1975 to 1991 uh, i think it's either i don't know if it's the title of the book or the working title i want to be stereotyped and he hooked me up with milo so thanks to chris for that and thanks to milo for being a guest yeah great tidbits too yeah. probably the uh my favorite I, I was thinking about this when i heard the interview like how long have you and i known each other like over 20 years for sure right yep 22 23 but i remember when we we first started hanging out and we were kind of bonding on music bonding over music and uh, we were talking about descendants are all and i remember you like uh hey you know what's cool about descendants and all i'm like what and you're like how they add edge to stuff (laughs) (laughs) and and i was like yeah totally that's totally so cool about them and you got to ask about it like where did it come from so That's the culmination, man. I guess it is, yeah. Oh, well, dude, I've been listening to this band for 30 years, and like you, they're a super special band for me and all, you know, all of their fans. They're just one of those special bands that people connect to. This record for me is a weird one. It's not one I had when I was young. My go-to, you were mentioning 
your go-to record was two things at once. Mine was yeah. Liveage and Summary were my two big cassette tapes. So I, like most people, know like the, the Summary tracks off of this way better. So to listen to this, this is not a record I listen to a ton. I really enjoyed listening to it this week. Yeah, it is. The, the right word for it is weird because it's got the classic Descendants hits on it that were on summary and then some far out stuff right yeah milo i think says in the interview something about this is kind of a bridge record between the descendant descendants and what all became and it's so true for sure yeah Yeah. here's a few things before we get into the the tunes on here that i want to mention about the album concept of all and we'll get into that probably when we do the all logistics or whatever I rewatched that filmage movie this week. Bill says, I think it's towards the end of that movie. He says, when you quest all, you're questing something much grand, much grander than getting up and going to work at Winchell's. Here's another thing I found kind of on the concept of all. I mentioned Pat a few times in the, uh, in the interview, Pat, I'm not sure how you say his last name, McCusiton him and Bill came up with the concept of all during a fishing trip on Bill's boat, the Orca in 1980. And they describe it as not to settle for some to always go for all. And here's a June 1987 interview with Bill. I'm really into all and I've waited a long time to unleash the whole concept on people. It's just a way of thinking in which there are extremes and there is this goal called all it's a way that I created in dealing with an achievement with achievement and satisfaction and how the two relate basically just to avoid stagnation going for all and never being satisfied and just wallowing in your own sameness it's not hard to see bill totally fitting in when he was in black flag too just for that insane work ethic that he has you know yep and a ton of people mention that in the documentary as well too that work ethic yeah and further to, you know, what you were doing with your history lesson part one, I did up a little timeline of kind of where, you know, they were at leading up to this album and afterwards. So September 10th, 1986, Bill's birthday, uh, Stefan and Carl moved to L.A. to join the band. They play some shows in November and December of that year, including November 24th at the Ambassador Motor Inn in Edmonton. Ooh. Yeah. They called it the Just to Clear the Air, the Tour Explosion. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so that was with Carl and Stefan kind of before, you know, just playing probably whatever the Enjoy set list, you know? And maybe some of these songs, I don't know. So January of 87, the album is recorded at Radio Tokyo with Richard Andrews. And we'll be seeing him again and often. He did some other stuff at Radio Tokyo for SST. This was produced by Bill. They play a show January 10th, 1987 at the Anti-Club with the Love Dolls and Lawndale. And then their U.S. tour starts February 12th at the Whiskey and ends about 46 dates later on April 10th at Fender's Ballroom. During that tour, the record came out in April on LP, CD, and cassette. And here's some cool stuff that I picked out from those tour dates that they, some bands they played with. 
they played in Chicago at the Metro with DOA and Firehose. Whoa. Yeah. They played, That's a triple bill. Yeah. They played at City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey with Gangrene and Dag Nasty. Thought that was cool. Yeah. Considering, you know, the Dave, the Dag Nasty connection. Yep. Here's one. I wonder if Doug, so would Doug, Doug Carrion might have been in the band at that time then, hey? Yeah, he probably was. Just let, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, they played at Mississippi Nights in St. Louis with Moving Targets. Oh, cool. Hey, by the way, Moving Targets have got another crowdfund for a second reformed band LP coming out. Check it out. Oh. Indiegogo. Cool. Uh, April 19th of that tour, they played at Berkeley Square, and that is the recording of the Hallraker album. They also played in Salt Lake City with the Bad Yodelers. No way. Yeah. So, like, what, they got the band back together for the show? Okay, so I... Have you heard the Bad Yodelers? No. Like, they didn't release anything, did they? They did, yeah. So, oh. they're on Spotify. There's two th two kind of albums on there. One is, it looks like it was like a cassette-only thing, and it's got Carl on vocals. Carl was the vocalist in the Bad Yodelers. And it's pretty pretty raw, but it's really good. And then... There's a, a compilation called The Best of the Bad Yodelers. And as far as I can tell, that is... They, they did release two albums, but not with Carl. This guy, Terrence D.H., replaced him on vocals. And he, he was in a band called The Stench, a Salt Lake City band. And they did two albums with this Terrence D.H. dude. One's called I Wonder, and one's called Window. And dude, like, these albums are really, really awesome. And uh, this Best of Bad Yodelers also has a bunch of other stuff from when the band changed their name to Season of the Spring towards the end of their career. But they're just a really cool band. They're kind of heavy. I read some stuff that described them as a crossover band. I don't really consider them one. They're not super fast, but they do have like some almost Metallica-style riffs, I would say. Hmm. But it's melodic. A few of the things I found said they sound like all or dag, dag nasty mixed with Metallica. <laughs> they kind of mm. remind me of this band sub society that was on like all those H street videos in the eighties. Okay. They're good. They're worth checking out, man. I'm going to get into, into them a bit more. So anyways, then they do the fine all tour, which starts in May 30th. They played with boxer rebellion, Scott Reynolds band with Tony Lombardo. They also played some shows with Henry Rollins' band, as they were called, I think, at the time. This was maybe, like, uh, Hot Animal Machine era, Henry Rollins. Oh, yeah, Henry, Henrietta Collins era. Yeah. Played with M.I.A., Doughboys, Faith No More. They played a show, Ryan, with Old Skull. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pissed off. I hate you, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. They play at the Pyramid in Ri Richmond with Dinosaur. Not Dinosaur Jr., Dinosaur. Oh, man. Yeah, early days. And during that tour, they play at First Ave, and that's where uh, Liveage is recorded. Then they play their final show July 24th at Fender's Ballroom, and by December of that year, they are recording All Roy Says, which came out in March of 88. Yeah, man. Those All records are insanely killer, too. I was thinking when I was doing my, my spielage on the, the history lesson, We've got it. We've got to do something on cruise records. 
in seven years when we're done this show. Totally. We've got it. Yeah. No. I was listening to all all week too. Oh dude. Especially those after records... especially after watching that documentary again. Yeah. They're so good. I mean I I think you and I are probably on the same page though that like the Dave and Scott records are just bananas. They're so yeah. good for me. Yeah. I like a lot of the Scott Price stuff too. Chad Price? Or sorry, Chad Price, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to talk about Massacre Guys for a bit, too. Milo talks about them a little bit in the interview. And, dude, there's so many questions I thought of afterwards that I wish I would have <laughs> asked Milo. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad I asked him about Massacre Guys. I hadn't really heard them too much either. They're on a compilation that I think maybe you've mentioned before, that Toxic Shock one called, uh, what's it called? four old seven inches they're on yeah. there it's on my blog post man don't you remember my blog is it on there yeah okay like they weren't actually on the toxic shock noise from nowhere comp series but the four old seven inches comp cd collects the massacre guys single on there yeah it's good i can you can tell like milo mentions tsol it's the guitar tone for sure like they're using a, a chorus pedal or whatever that like the same, same kind of, they're going for the same guitar sound as Ron Emery had in TSOL. Um, really good stuff though. The other thing I wanted to mention is after Milo left the Descendants, he had a band called Milestone. Have you ever heard of them? Heard them, Ryan? I've got the CD. Yep. Yeah. It has, has like early versions of, uh, like just like them. Yep. There's, that that ended up becoming an all song which milo recorded with the band for that all greatest hits cd so that all greatest hits cd has got milo doing one song on it actually yeah that song's also on all roy saves i believe yeah yeah so that's cool stuff people should check out they didn't really record an album this is a pretty rough live recording on, oh yeah radio it's, station. it's like it's like demos or whatever, but there's there's a disc out there that you can buy of it. Yeah. Okay, a few more things before we get into the tunes I want to mention here. This is from a Descendants like press release that came out in 1987. Friends, worshippers of the mighty all, the Bassmaster General has proclaimed that all you need is all. The all sessions were blessed by the appearance of the Royal Bassmaster Supreme himself, Pat McCusatin. <laughs> Okay, this is interesting. We went to see the last. Bill, this He's talking about when they're on tour. Well, th before this, he's talking about fecal spray. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> okay. No thanks. Yep. No thank you. We went to see the last, Bill and Milo's favorite band in the world, who had broken up, but reunited to do one last show. For those of you who are not familiar with The Last, they are the best band in the world ever and have provided limitless inspiration in Descendant songwriting and playing. People who have heard us playing acoustically at parties, Milo on guitar, Bill singing, may not recognize any of the songs. It's because we are playing a whole set of Last songs. Huh. The Last show was very inspirational. Now we are ready to assault the country once again with Descendants Melodies. We're hitting the road on February 15th for a full U.S. tour. We can't wait to get back in the van, put our feet in the air, and dance the can-can. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of glossed over the last at the outset, and they're covered in the documentary filmage. Yeah. But though that first single, Ride the Wild, you can tell 
that the last is a big influence, but the, la- the influence of the last carries on throughout all the Descendants records and even the all stuff like that Southern California surf beat that Bill played in in all these records. I mean, that comes in part from the last, I would say. And even um, even songs like Statue of Liberty or whatever have got a bit of a last sound to them, like even more than uh, uh, Ride the Wild or something like that because of the guitar tone and the rhythm. I'm just reading this other press release. He's talking about, Bill's talking about how he's, you know, the Descendants are ending, but he's got a new band called All, and he's listing the band members. Stephen Algerton, (laughs) (laughs) Carl Alvarez, Dave Small, (laughs) and me, All Stevenson on drums. All right, let's get into the tunes, Ryan. Let's do it. History lesson, part two. All right, which, uh, what are you looking at? Are you looking at a CD? Are you looking at an LP? How am I going to follow along here? I'm looking at the LP that I, you know where I got my LP version of this, Ryan? Nowhere. Bought it off you. No way. Did you? Yep. Now when here, did I sell this? When you were moving one time. Now, here's my question to you, though, Ryan. <laughs> How do I have a copy of it on LP still? I don't know. I'm pretty sure I, I got must it. Have, I must have rebought it at some point. Here's my question for you, though. There's no. I've heard you rant about this before. There's no lyric sheet in my LP. Nor in my current version either. There is in the CD version, though. Hmm. Where did the insert go? What did they do with it? <laughs> well, that's what I want to know. What'd you do with this insert, Ryan? I didn't do anything with it. Listen, if I have an insert, it stays with the jacket forever. Okay. Well, here's one thing that I saw on the CD that I don't think it says on the LP, which is why I did not ask Milo about this. I didn't see see this until I looked at the CD on Discogs. Des sings backing vocals. Yeah, man. It doesn't say that on the LP, though. Not on the back of the jacket. No, because the back of the jacket is it's very sparse. Yeah. But like... If you look, if you compare them, like for example, on the back of the LP, it says, "Thanks to Sandy Wong for all the help." Special thanks to Mike Watt on the back of the LP jacket. Yes. Well, I want to. I want to know what songs Des sings on. I'll yeah, have, I don't know. I'll have to ask Milo when we have him back on for enjoy. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, we've got the Descendants on like seven more times, yes. so one of those, anyways. Okay. So let's talk about these tracks. Track one, all written by Bill and Pat. I guess they're credited to it. <laughs> yep. I always think about that summary tape. I'm pretty sure has all and then no all, like as the first and then the very last songs on very the album. Last. Yep. Here, it just, here it just puts a song in between them. Yeah. And it's funny because, I mean, I'll be completely honest. I didn't know what the pursuit of all was until I had been a fan for, gosh, I don't know. Pro- I'm I'm probably like just guessing, maybe over ten, maybe over twenty years. I didn't really know what all was. Uh, I mean, and let's be honest, I didn't know how to pronounce Stefan Edgerton's name until the documentary really came out. But when you listen to track three, know all, it doesn't sound like. You know, not just all, 
all, you know? Yeah. It's not, that's not what it sounds like until you know what the pursuit actually is. Well, I think I kind of cottoned on to most of it because of the, the song, The Ologistics. The lyrics, yeah. Yeah. Okay, the first real track is Coolidge, which we talk about a lot of these in the interview, which was cool for me. Written by Carl, he brought it with him. I don't think I really considered the spelling of Coolidge is a reference to, to a U.S. president. I've heard this song a zillion times. Insane drumming. Like, I love Bill Stevenson's drumming. You mentioned that backbeat or that surf beat that he does. Love it. Yep. Love yep. those Bill Stevenson snare rolls. Those are like his signature sound to yep. me. Love the lyrics to this song. You can only be a victim if you admit defeat. Love it. Yeah, it's a classic. It's definitely one of the ones that stand out. Third track is No All. The fourth track, Van. Lyrics by Milo. Music by Carl Arvel. Alvarez and Steven Egerton. <laughs> that song, I don't. Maybe Milo's told this story before. I don't know, but that I've never heard it. That story about the the Gary Newman song. <laughs> Here in my van. <laughs> it's a another song about life on the road. It's kind of crude, kind of juvenile, but it's it's the Descendants version of Life on the Road, not like the Slip It In version of Life on the Road. Yeah, a little, little bit different. This is what's cool for me about getting to talk to Milo. This is a song I have heard thousands of times. And you know how there's like Bill talking in the background? Like, get out of my van, that stuff? Yeah. There's part where he says, don't be shy, just come back into the stack. <laughs> <laughs> now we know what the stack now, is. Well, I never even picked that out until, yeah. you know, till now. Some cool references, Viverin, which is a caffeine pill. They talk about in here and Stefan with some totally insane dive bomb shredding in this song. Yeah. Sleep on a loaf, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Track five, Camage, written by Bill. This is a song that still, after listening to it for 30 years, like that part where it doesn't really matter if I live or die, you know, that part where Bill is like playing super fast on the hi-hat. Yeah. Still gives me goosebumps. Yeah, it's, it's a weird song, but it's so catchy. It starts out as like a dirge. Then it turns into this killer pop-punk melodic transition, catchy chorus. And then the chorus comes again, and then it goes back into the dirge. It's a weird uh, structure, but it totally works. Yeah. Okay, now we're getting into some funky stuff here. So far, we're all hits, right? funky this is we're getting proggy here well I, I don't mean funky like musically i mean funky like different impressions lyrics by milo music by stefan what an interesting song man you know when milo's going that could be me and that bill's hitting that kick drum it's really cool when it starts and you're listening to it like what is this is this the descendants or is this king crimson you know yeah it's like, what is going on here? Okay. Interesting too. Like, I don't know if you, uh, if this kind of tweaked in your head, but something that came to my mind only for the first time when listening to this, like Impressions is a very famous John Coltrane record too. I don't yeah. know if there's any connection there. Then track seven, Iceman. I love this track. It's got lyrics by Milo, music by, music by Stefan again. Uh, the chorus is really re reminiscent of uh, Annihilate This Week. 
flag. This song just reeks of flag. Yeah. I love it, though. It's really good. And then on the cassette and CD version, it adds in Jealous of the World, solely written by Milo. Maybe a bit of an overlooked gem because it's not on the LP. It almost like could be like a DRI tune or something like that. I just think it's awesome that Milo wrote this. And the lyrics are super good. Like, you belong to a useless subset, the one that's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It looks like, uh, on the back of the CD too, it looks like it's like track nine because they had to squeeze it in there on the the tablets above the barcode. Uh But it's it's actually track eight. Right. Because... Uranus or Uranus is the last track on the CD and cassette version. Okay, well, we're flipping it over now, and we're going to the all-time classic, Clean Sheets, written by Bill. It's like a perfect song, you know? I, I never get tired of hearing it. Me either. I, I remember, like, being on tour with my crappy pop-punk band in the early 90s, and, you know, being on the road, and being at, like, some all-ages... Ukrainian hall or something like that and in between sets they'd play like you know just whatever uh cd they had kicking around and if this record or summary came on and clean sheets came on like all of the people on stage like tearing down the last band and putting up the next band we'd all just sing it together because it was like it was just you couldn't help it it was so good yeah, it's an awesome song. And I don't know, like, I think the Descendants get the credit they deserve for being amazing musicians. I feel like they do. But, like, they're they're so tight, man. Like, the harmonics Carl's playing at the end of this song and then the choice to end on a minor chord is just so class, you know, classic. Yeah, it's classic now. Okay, the second track, Pep Talk. Lyrics by Bill and Milo, music by Milo. Milo mentions this one in the interview that, you know, it's maybe a little special to him because he and Bill wrote it together, which considering, you know, they were the guys that kept the band going, didn't really happen, I, th- I don't think, too much. It doesn't sound like it. Yeah. Every time I hear it, heard it this week, though, I heard the live version in my head where Bill's starting off on the toms and before it really kicks in, Milo goes, pep talk. <laughs> that's like me and liveage man yeah i i know all the the little changes milo makes you know i sing them when i hear the studio versions this one kind of reminds me of the misfits a little bit too at times really parts of it do yeah yeah maybe it's uh it's a consistent theme though on this record and actually a lot of descendant songs you know don't give up like there's heartbreak but don't give up right even if it's a little cheesy. Track three is the All Logistics, another all-time classic. I've always preferred the Liveage version to the studio one, uh, but this is still great. Uh, it's written by Bill and Pat, the lyrics and music by Stefan. Do you have a favorite All Logistic, Ryan? Like a favorite commandment or whatever? Like, do not commit laundry? Yeah. Is that your favorite? Uh, no, I, no, my favorite would be do not commit adulthood. Yeah. In my 40s. <laughs> Thou shalt not partake of decaf is, is the one. Yeah, I live by that every day too. Yeah. 
Okay, track four, Schizophrenia. Music, or lyrics by Milo, music by Stefan. I love the riffing on this one. It's long, like the longest track on the album, partly due to the drum kind of outro on it. Milo's a bit hard on this one in the interview. I respectfully disagree with him. I think it's awesome. It's a schizophrenic song, though, literally. Yeah. And then the last one is Uranus, written by the whole band. It's an instrumental. I always love when they do the instrumentals. And dude, like, there's an instrumental all album. Yeah. In the can, maybe? Yeah. What? Yeah. Jeez. This is definitely like a flag-esque instro. Oh, yeah. Although it does oh. have lyrics. Why don't you go back to Mars? Or maybe it was further out. Take that shrubbery with you. Are the lyrics, <laughs> I believe. Yeah. Maybe like a Monty Python reference? <laughs> yeah, shrubbery, maybe. maybe. Here's my question for you, Ryan, though. This is not the ballot result question. Oh, shit. Is this a setup where I'm doomed to fail, as no, usual? No. I want to okay. know what is your favorite song that's not a summary song. That's on this record? Yeah. Oh, man. I have to get summary. Hang on. Hang on. Well, you know what's on summary off of here. Uh, but now my head is all jumbled because I've been like, I did not listen to summary this week. Hang on. Okay, so Pep Talk is not on summary. That's where I go first. Let me see here. Coolidge is. So is Clean Sheets. It's probably Pep Talk, actually. Yeah. I like Iceman. Iceman and Jealous of the World for me. Oh, really? Really cool songs, man. And kind of overshadowed by the hits. Agreed. Hmm. Interesting. I never thought of that. But you're right. Verified. All is track one. No All is track 28 on Summary. Artwork's pretty bare bones, but it's cool. It's like the Ten Commandments, right? What is that, like, Latin at the top of the... What does that say? Ad Majorum Omer... Ah, jeez, I don't know. Omnium Gloria? Glorium? Something Glorium, yeah. I don't know. You didn't look it up? No. You're usually so thorough, man. Did you just assume I would know the Latin? (laughs) No, I just... I didn't... I'm just looking at it now. I hadn't really considered it. What about dead wax? There's probably no dead wax, hey? Uh, you didn't look? No, I didn't look at that either. That's your department, man. You're the dead wax dude. Yeah, just call me wax man. Uh, let's see here. Oh, there's definitely stuff going on, but no inside joke. It's, uh, it's, I don't know if they reused something, but on side A, it's like, it says like SST. 042 and it's scratched out and then it says 112 weird so this that plate or whatever was going to be 42 at one point or something and then side b has got a whole bunch of extra i don't know codes and stuff but i can't tell what it is but no inside jokes unfortunately 042 the walking dead saint vitus that's weird ballot result let's do it ballot result I think we probably got to go with clean sheets, hey? Yeah, I mean, we'll get it again on summary. Is there anything else, though? Like, there's tons of stuff on summary we can choose from. It's not like we're going to miss our chance if we don't go with clean sheets on that one. Yeah, I don't know. Coolidge is, is pretty... Like, all, all these songs are great, you know? 
yeah it's a great record it's weird though it didn't it never really struck me how weird it is i will admit though i came to this album it's probably one of the later descendants albums that i came to because it was really like all that was kicking around in my neck of the woods at the time that you could buy for a reasonable price with the most songs on it right is two things at once and summary that's where you spent your allowance this not the, on this this is, this is the last one i got the the big ones for yeah. me well hall is probably the last one i got but enjoy was a big one for me and it, it's got some weird stuff on it like side two of enjoy has got some pretty riffy th- tracks like days are blood yeah. and green yeah i don't know it probably needs to be clean sheets i'm good with that like you, you won't hear an argument for me Okay. Ryan, what's Let's next what's next week? Next week is SST one thirteen, our first LP from Lee Ronaldo. We've had Lee on the show via Sonic Youth before, but this is a solo album called From Here to Eternity. And uh, I bet you you're a big fan, Brandt. Yeah, I like it. Cool man. I've never heard it before. Right on. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.